I feel like I say this every time I preach, and I'm, I'm so excited for you to experience this passage. Back in January, I was scheduled to preach, and I mistakenly thought I was preaching on this passage. Came to find out that it wasn't. So I've been sitting on the scripture for two months, looking at it every week, and every time I return to it, I see something new, profound and exciting. It was as if the very process made me reimagine how I previously thought about it. And this is a profound nature of scripture. It is transforming. It's continually inviting us to reimagine what it means for God to love the world. It's continually inviting us to transform our perspective so the way we live reflects that same love. So as we start this time, would you pray with me? Lord, even though we are far from each other, would you gather us around your word and would you speak to each of us through it? Would you inspire, motivate, and transform us to share the joy we have found in you? Amen. So have you seen the news lately? No, 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 no. Have you seen? The Italians under lockdown are singing from their balconies. They're creating music together despite being, not being able to leave their homes. And it's inspiring people around the world. Or have you seen this last Saturday in Sevilla, Spain? Dozens of people join a fitness instructor who's leading them in doing squats and jumping jacks from their apartments. Or even here in Oregon, a woman stepped up to help an elderly couple in need. She was walking into a Safeway in Bend when she heard someone calling to her from their parked car. She went over and found a couple in their 80s who asked for help. The older woman in the car cracked the window open and explained nearly in tears that they didn't have any family nearby that could help them. They'd been waiting in their car for 45 minutes and they were scared to go in. The woman took their grocery list and money and got what was available on the list, came back out, gave them their change, loaded their car. And when asked about it, she says, I, th I think that this was just kind of a small light in a dark time, like a nice story of kindness to inspire a lot of people. And it's true. There's an undercurrent of stories right now about people being compassionate with each other, helping strangers, being considerate, and making room for the vulnerable in our communities, and it's beautiful. These stories represent the same vision for the world that shapes the Gospel of John. It's the symbolic language in John chapter 1 that sets the stage. A light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John opens up with a retelling of the creation story. And in doing so, he frames our minds to be prepared to see the same God who brought life out of the nothingness, the darkness, the formless, the emptiness, can do the same good work in your life and in my life. And in the life of every woman, of every man, from every background, because God loves us all. So in the midst of this unprecedented time we're living, don't be afraid to sing and dance with your neighbors from your balconies and step up to take care of each other. The love and joy we find in Jesus compels us too. And that's the central theme of the story of the woman at the well, which is our passage today. Past Tuesday, I posted a Facebook video inviting you to do an inductive study on two passages, uh, this one and the one right before, which is about Nicodemus, which Dick preached about a few weeks ago. They're fascinating to compare and contrast because where one stops, the other one picks up. In the story of Nicodemus, <clears throat> the, uh, the idea that God loves the world is lost on him. He doesn't get it. He's confused. And remember who he is, a man who meets Jesus at night a person of privilege whose voice and decisions affect a lot of people. He's called Israel's teacher. He's at the center of his culture. 
Being seen with Jesus could affect his reputation. So he doesn't say a lot, but he asks a lot of questions because he doesn't understand Jesus. He hears Jesus tell him, to see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again and be born of water and spirit. And Nicodemus doesn't get the symbolism. He doesn't get the references to the creation story. He doesn't see that Jesus is inviting him to reimagine the way he thinks about God. It's as if Nicodemus forgets that the very process of faith involves a transformation of our own perspective, where we see and see and think differently about the world. But in that transformation, we also let go of an old perspective and the way we used to see the world, sort of like pruning a plant for growth. And so this is the framework for how we are introduced to the woman at the well, someone whose testimony very much can stand on its own, but is very different than Nicodemus. Here's her testimony. It starts off with Jesus on his way to Galilee. Now, what it doesn't say is that there's two main roads to Galilee from where he's at. There, uh, what it also doesn't say is that most Jews would have taken the longer of the two roads, which is five to six day journey. They would have taken that road because there's tension between the Jews and the Samaritans that dates back hundreds and hundreds of years, which we could read about in 2 Kings. The road, however, that Jesus is on is a three day journey back to Galilee and goes right through Samaria. So already the gospel writer is developing a storyline foreshadowing a characteristic about Jesus. So tired from, the, tired from the journey, Jesus stops at Jacob's well, and the disciples go into town to buy food, and this is where the story unfolds. In the middle of the day, a woman comes to the well, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Most of us would read that like, well, what's the big deal? He's thirsty and doesn't have anything to get the water out of the well. But as you know, there's always some cultural and historical background to consider. And we see this in the woman's response. She's surprised. And she says, how can you ask me for a drink? As hard as it might be to consider, consider this. In that day, culturally, a man would openly talk to a woman. And also in that day, a Jew wouldn't have talked to a Samaritan. And even more surprising is that a Jew wouldn't have touched the drinking cup of a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman, in fear of being ceremonially unclean. But then Jesus offers her living water, and she wants it. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman doesn't get that living water is a symbol. And responds by saying, wait, what? I want some of this water, so I don't have to keep coming back to this well. And this is really important, and I don't want you to miss this. This is the transformational moment. Jesus tells her to go call her husband. And she says, I have no husband. Response, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. What you have said is quite true. And then she says, sir, I see you're a prophet. Did you see it? That in-between moment, that space between them talking. Yes, right there, that's, that's where it happens. She sees Jesus differently now. Okay, let's back up a second. We have to talk about the husband situation. Most scholars would agree that culturally and historically in that day, it would lend itself to interpret the five husbands situation as a combination of they died, which considering Samaria and how much war they were in, it's not that far-fetched. Um, or uh, she was divorced, which uh, she had no control over because only a man could divorce in that time. And for the guy she's living with now that isn't her husband, he very well could be a slave or a freed slave who wouldn't have been given a certificate of marriage. And 
the general point is this. She's vulnerable in her culture. And she had to assume a lot of different identities based on who she's with. Her backstory is hard to put a perfect picture together, but the mosaic of possibilities becomes a part of the way we think about her testimony. Some scholars point out that her going to the well at noon is unusual because it's the heat of the day, and it's believed that most people would have gotten their water early in the morning. So she's an outcast of sorts. And then when the gospel writer puts the story of Nicodemus in front of this one, it's as if he paints a backstory that amplifies this one. And it says simply this, she's an outsider of the outside culture. She's the farthest away from whom Nicodemus could imagine the creator of the world could love. Considering what might be her backstory, she might think the same thing. And yet, this is the transforming part of her testimony. And it's significant because she feels known. Remember the foreshadowing of the two roads that Jesus is on as he travels back to Galilee? Remember he's on the shore of the two? The point of all that is that Jesus doesn't go the long way around people. Not just some people, but all people. Jesus meets this woman where she's at, not just in that moment, but in the narrative of her past. The parts where she could easily question, how does he know that about me? The gospel writer wants us to see Jesus has been there from the beginning of it all. Remember how the Gospel of John starts with the retelling of the creation story? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, God, he was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing has been made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Yeah, even in that moment, the Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, was present. And so the subtle space of nothingness, literally and literarily, becomes the transformational moment of the Samaritan woman. And with this, I invite you to look back over the passage and to see it with new eyes, from a new perspective. Remember where they are, Jacob's well. Jacob's well has uh, becomes a symbol for the inclusiveness of the gospel story. What was once used to... Uh, for a water supply for Jacob's family, a.k.a. Israel, a.k.a. the people of God, now symbolically represents Jesus, the source of life for all people who come to him. And remember when Jesus asked her for a drink? He was symbolically inviting her to serve him, to follow him, to be his disciple. And remember when Jesus offered her living water and she wanted it? It was given to her. It just wasn't what any of us had anticipated. It was her feeling known, looking back at her life, thinking that God was there even in the tumultuousness of its uncertainty. The imagery for living water in the Bible is this. It's a spring coming up from the ground. And a part of the image is that it comes from a mysterious reservoir that no one can see. So another layer deeper into her transformational experience with Jesus is that for her being known, it also means that she's loved by the creator of the world. Let me say that again, she's loved. Friends, the whole story of the woman at the well is the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, maybe we're not given details about her past because what the gospel writer wants us to hear is her testimony. She leaves her water jug at the well. 
very much like the disciples in other gospels, dropping their nets to follow Jesus. She goes back to her town and she says to anyone listening, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Let me introduce you to the first evangelist, the Samaritan woman. When she goes into her town to tell everyone, it says they believe because of her words. This expression is significant because it's the same verbiage, the same Greek words reoccur later in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, when the, Jesus prays for his disciples. John describes the Samaritan's woman work in that town in precisely the same language he uses to describe the disciples' ministry. And finally, Jesus spent the next two days in her town, and more people believe. Surely they would have come to know her name, right? And yet it's not here. She's not named because even the woman is a symbol for every woman and every man. Her testimony is our testimony. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Friends, imagine a world where people feel known and loved. Friends, be motivated that the same God who brought life out of the nothingness, the darkness, the formless, the emptiness, can do that same good work in your life and in my life and in the life of every woman and every man from every background because God loves us all. At the end of this passage, there's a conversation about worship. And it says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Or in other words, live as changed people sent to all people to share the love and joy we have found in Jesus. And our testimony is come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.